Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can give a call, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with ideas, questions, comments, or concerns. Wow, what a spring! I mean, you've got to have a fantastic spring out there in the wilderness where you live, right? <laughs> it's off to a pretty good start. Some of the weeds are coming up. I went and got some of those the other day. We'll do that again this weekend. But, yeah, it, it's amazing how quickly things turn green. I guess all the rain is uh, is kind of helping that. Rain and temperatures both. Mm-hmm. So it was perfect. Yeah. So uh, last week you mentioned some kind of bird that I'd never heard of. Uh, Eastern Towhee, I believe that Tau-hee. was. Yeah. So now is this a bird that looks like a robin, has an orange breast, but has a white head? Has, oh, let's see. I haven't seen it in a week. So I think oh. it has a white breast, but it has the, the brown kind of like the robin color of oh. the breast on the wing. Like on the sides. Oh, because we've got one that has an orange breast, mm-hmm. but a white head, and it like totally caught me by surprise. I'd never seen it before. Yeah, does so, it have any red? No, I think the Towie had red. I'd have to look it up again. Mm. Interesting. So you're saying a, a brown breast, orange, orange like a like a robin kind of, and robin wing mm-hmm. colors. But for some, you know, the head was kind of like a spotted white. Wow. I thought, hmm, this is very That's strange. That's weird. Yeah. I didn't go outside when it was out there. I thought it was going <laughs> to attack me. <laughs> well, if you're interested in birds, tomorrow at 820, I am going to have a bird expert on Total Information AM. Wow. So we can learn how to attract the birds we want, maybe not the ones we don't want. Right. And uh, some more information about, uh, you know, getting the birds. The hummingbirds are going to be moving in uh, around April 15th is when they start arriving. They really don't get heavy till like June. Right. But sure. uh, we'll start seeing some of those little guys flying around pretty soon. I yeah, can't wait. Yeah, they've got a long flight. Yes, they do. <laughs> uh, you can see them panting when they get here. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so. Well, great. So 8.20 tomorrow. 8.20 tomorrow morning, yeah. So are you going to take questions or are you just going to have them talk? We'll just chat. Okay. Yeah. But okay. if you have a question, you can email me. Okay, at great. At Kelly one at entercom.com. Wow. Yeah, perfect. It's Brian with an I, Kelly with only one E, the number one, at entercom.com. Kelly with only one E. Yeah, because, you know, some people have two. L-L-Y? It's just Y, yes, at the end. Yes, the right way, I guess. I don't know. The Irish way. Well, that's what we say anyway. Great. Well, thanks, Brian. You bet. 
Yes, folks, Saturday morning, yeah, let's get together and have a discussion about what's going on in your landscape. Uh, lots of stuff going on. And don't take your house plants out yet because if you put them out in the sun, they could get sunburned. So if you've got a, a protected spot, you can start moving them out. I'm going to probably wait for another week or so to get my couple outdoors. And but you can do all kinds of stuff in the landscape. I was at a house in Waterloo this this or Waterloo this past Wednesday, and uh, noticed we were talking about they wanted some screening because there might be some development behind them. And I mentioned junipers, and they said, well, they were a little bit worried about bagworms. I said, well, many things get bagworms, and bagworms are problematic, but. Uh, I would say from their circumstance and situation, because they had a lot of native cedar slash junipers, uh, that that was probably what I was going to recommend for them to use. And uh, when I was a kid growing up in Ellisville, new subdivision, had the junipers, the Fitzers put in, and we got a nickel for every bagworm we pulled off of them. My father paid us. So anyway, all kinds of crazy stuff. But anyway... This is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is Alex. He was off last week, but he's back today. And uh, he's the one who answers the phone as well as pushes all the buttons. And consequently, when you call, he just needs your first name and where you're calling from. I'm Mike Miller, hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I come and do landscape consultations, which I call a walk and talk at your home. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage will have my email and phone number where I can be reached. Today after the show, I'm headed to Ledoux and then to Maryland Heights. Well, let's get moving for the stroll. The stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Magnolias, Kwanzaa cherries, Yoshino cherries. Ah, they say, welcome spring. As does the American holly, though they're not flowering right now. They're still showing berries. And 10 feet away, I'm standing, and I smell a fragrance. And oh, it was so nice. Ah, it was blooming hydrangeas. And the ginkgo trees, though impressive without leaves yet, they still look pretty darn good. Crows and numerous birds were singing as the sky was starting to lighten up. A fountain in the distance I could hear it was a nice background sound. And uh, it just adds some character to the place where I was. Where is this? Well, it's Tower Grove Park and more specifically outside the Palm House, which Henry Shaw had built way back when, when he founded the Botanical Garden, which really wasn't it. But Tower Grove Park was kind of his farm and the, the Palm House was where he had orange trees because he wanted to have some citrus. Amazing character was him, was he. <laughs> and uh, for years, Tracy and I went to the Palm House for uh, Easter brunch, but they're no longer doing that. Uh, outside the door, there's going to be some boxwood that arc out from the entrance, and 10 foot or so arborvitae fill the vertical spaces in between all the windows, which gave light, which give light today to the palm trees that are on the inside. The lawn races across the front in a pretty narrow bed. Fans of Irish foliage at the corner of the building. And the cross is where the lily ponds are. And they're reflecting just, I mean, really kind of neat. And there was large clumps of daffodils at various places in the distance. So you could kind of see them. And there's a little bit of mounding and berming and things like that. So it's really just kind of a neat setting. Also nearby, tulips say, 
Well, we're next. We're not even showing any color yet. Let those daffodils have their time, but we'll be coming out soon. And uh, ornamental grasses, we're sending up a few green blades, but not very much. There was a lot more happening there at Tower Grove Park outside the Palm House. But time was running out, and I had to go. So anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's give a cheer for the daffodils. Man, oh, man, are they spectacular. Let's head over to Susan's yard and see what's going on there, though. Hi, Susan. Yes, good morning. Hi. Uh, We plan to put down the pre-emergent on our lawn in the next week or so uh, because the forsythias are blooming. You told us that. Right. Uh, But our question is, can we apply at the same time the uh, organic fertilizer called Milorganite? Yeah, pre-emergence and fertilizer have nothing to do with each other. Great, so that so we can put it all down yeah. at the same time. That'd be perfect. Yeah, just I mean, get it down pretty quick because with the weather this hot, uh, it's gonna. I mean, the seeds are gonna be you know germinating, and once they really start germinating for the warm season annual weeds, then in, the pre-emergent really won't do too much. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so very much. Sure. Yeah, because for Cynthia, I don't know what you know what area you live in or anything else. In some areas, they've been blooming for a full week now, so that means uh, we're kind of—I don't want to say at the end of the pre-emergent time, but it's getting pretty darn close. So. Oh, so really, we should watch for when they just begin to. Yeah, bloom. that's when you really should get every, you know get everything set up and ready. And a little bit later, somebody sent me some uh, information that the University of Illinois, and they were saying you should really get a soil thermometer. And start checking your soil temperatures when the forsythia starts blooming. And when you have three days in a row of temperatures above mid-50s or at mid-50s, that's when the pre-emergence should go down. Ah, well, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, and those soil thermometers are not all that expensive. You can get them at many different garden centers, and it kind of takes the guessing work out of it. So, Thanks, Susan. Thank you. Yep, and now let's go over to Vivian's Vivian's yard. Hi, Vivian. Hi, Mike. Love your show. Well, thanks. It's your show. Thank you. Well, after years of using pine bark nuggets under my uh, shrubs in the shrubbery bed, mm-hmm. I've gotten tired of replenishing it. I'm thinking about doing rocks. Um, so do I have to pull out that pine bark, or can I put the weed barrier on top of it with the air and and then put the rocks on top of that? You probably can. It's just that I don't know how deep the pine bark nuggets are right now, but if you put the, uh, let's say, the landscape fabric on top of that, it's not going to be smooth. It's not going to be even. And then when you put the rocks, they're going to be humpy and lumpy and all that other stuff. Now, ultimately, okay. the pine bark nuggets will, you know, melt down. Right. But uh, if, you, if you can handle kind of the unevenness and some of the unevenness, make sure. I don't know what kind of rock you're going to be using. But uh, any suggestions? Uh, probably, if I, you know, my the rock that I prefer myself is like bee rock or river rock. It's kind of a two, two inch or less size rock, and it's tan and brown in color. Okay. But that's a personal okay. choice. I mean, there's so many different ones. I would just stay. I don't know what kind of plants you're putting this underneath, but I would not use anything that's kind of related to limestone at all, because okay. that's alkaline. 
and that could do some really damage to the any if you do have some evergreens or other plants like dogwoods and you know that holly have, I've got some holly yeah so I would not use anything that's related to any kind of limestone whatsoever. Okay, that's a good suggestion. Thank you. Sure. And will I still be able to fertilize uh, some of these? Like I have to hit the uh, hollies with with uh, iron this time of the year. If I have rock, is that still going to work for them? Yeah, it should be able to migrate down. I don't know what kind of iron you're using. You're using iron sulfate? Yes. Okay, so then that's it should be able to migrate down through the, through, you know, the rock, landscape fabric, and then down through okay. the, uh, you know, the pine bark nuggets that are still there. Okay, and I'm doing that because the hollies are a little bit yellowish. Right. Am I on the right track? Yes, very well okay. could be. It could okay. be weather-related, but, you know, a lot of times if they're starting to show a yellowish, yellowish cast, put the iron, the iron is what makes them, you know, turns them back to green. It's not going to be instantaneous by any means, but the right. sulfur changes the soil pH, so uh, the, uh, the iron is going to be available for the holly. Okay. All right, that sounds good. That Those are good tips. Thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. And now right. let's go from Vivian's over to Lonnie's. Hi, Lonnie. Hi, hello, Mike. Love the show. Well, thanks. Uh, I, I've got a big problem. got moss in my front yard, and I like to get rid of it. How can you help me there? You want to get rid of your front yard? No, the moss. <laughs> my moss. <laughs> I got moss in the yard. Oh, I mean, I it's see. the whole place. Basically, nothing's going to do any good. There's some oh, things God. that will get rid of it temporarily, but it's going to be back. It's because of the soil chemistry. It's because of the setting and everything else. And you're okay. better off just to not let it bother you. Okay. I mean, seriously. Okay. I mean, it is, it's crazy, but, uh, I mean, you can have a landscape company come out, and they'll, you know, they can get rid of it for a period of time. But, again, you're not going to change the entire environment that set up the, the circumstance yeah. originally that it got started. And consequently, it's going to be back. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. Sure. Yeah. Save your money and just have fun with it. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye. Sure. And now let's go to Laura's. Hi, Laura. Hello. Hi. Yes. My question is, I planted some peonies last year, mm-hmm. and they're popping through already, coming up. Um do I need to fertilize, or how do I need to take care of those? Yeah, they do need some fertilizer. They do like a more alkaline circumstance, so you don't have to really worry too much about that. But for the first year or for the first two years, even if they start to set flower buds, which you're going to probably, you know, tears will come to your eyes, I would say don't let them flower. Let the energy, because it does stress the plants, to flower. So consequently, Uh by not allowing them to flower, the energy is going to be kept within the plant and make that plant root systems and stems and everything else just healthier. Okay. Do I uh, so? Do I need to fertilize them with anything this year? Yeah, or? it probably wouldn't hurt. I mean, just a general all-purpose fertilizer. Okay. I mean, Miracle Grow or anything. You know, your personal choice. Don't don't put something okay. where the first number is always nitrogen on bags or you know bottles or whatever. Make sure that that's uh-huh. not really high. So like uh, maybe a, a 5, 10, 10 or something along that line if you get a granular type fertilizer. Okay. I did have another question about moss, but I think the, the gentleman right before me already answered that. <laughs> love the so moss. Thank you so much, sure. and I love your show. I enjoy listening every Saturday. Well, thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Uh-huh. Thank and, you. Yes. Now let's head over to Lindell's. Hi, Lindell. 
Morning. Morning. Uh, I've got a a nodules under my oak tree. The ground is actually kind of covered with small twigs that have some kind of nodule, maybe an inch across diameter on the uh, twigs, and apparently that caused those twigs to uh, break off the tree and fall to the ground. Right. That's called a gall, G-A-L-L. Ah, thank you. And then what that is is a female wasp of specific type stings the twigs on the oak tree, and when those eggs that she's laid hatch, they bore into the twig, and that causes that bloating, that gall. And then, like you said, I mean, some I've seen some trees that have so many, um, it's unbelievable the amount of galls that they have, and some of them are really quite large. And so consequently, there's, uh, there's injections and there's different things, but uh, for the most part, there's nothing that's going to be totally effective. If you want to have a tree service come out, you can certainly do that and have them take a look and see what they'd recommend. But they're galls, G-A-L-L. Okay, thank you. Sure. And you can just take a look online, too, and, you know, take a look at what the galls are and what they recommend. And for the most part, they're very specific. And the interesting thing is they kind of stay, once they hatch, if they become adults, they kind of stay around the same area where they were born. So then they come back, and that's why certain trees that hadn't had them before, once they start getting them, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Okay, so... uh doesn't sound good for the future. Well, it's, you know, they, they really don't kill the tree. It's more of an aesthetic problem. But uh, like I said, I've seen some trees that have so many, it's just, it really looks creepy. Uh, I'm probably into, into the creepy stage. <laughs> or, like I said, you can have a tree service come out and see what they'd recommend. Because, I mean, there are injections and things like that, but uh, the effectiveness, I'm not totally, completely sure. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go over to uh, Christopher's yard. Hi, Christopher. Hey, good morning, Mike. Thank Hi. you for your show sure. and having us on it and being part of it. I start tomatoes and cucumbers in the burpee seed pots, and I water them. I have a heat mat. I have lights just above them, just like they recommend. Mm -hmm. And they're turning yellow, and they're purple. And I think it's chlorosis, but uh, I've tried to fertilize them in years previous with just the smallest amount of fertilizer, and they always end up dying. And these are beginning to look like they're going to die again this year without me fertilizing. <laughs> what can I put on them? What uh, there's, there's got to be something to do because the nurseries can do it. Why can't I? Well, it's a, they've got different products and what's going to be available for you. But probably what I'd use, I don't know what kind of potting mix you're using. Are you, you buying pots you know, to start the seeds that come with the potting mix in the container? Yes, sir. So, and, the, and, and supplemented it with the, some of the burpee cube that you can spread apart now, wet it, and right. so that the pots are full of uh, dirt or, or mix, really. So in reality, they should have the adequate fertilizer within that potting mix to make it so the seeds you know, germinate and have enough to actually get them going and healthy. So I'm not exactly sure what, you know, what kind of problem that you're having because it they, doesn't— they look Mike, they they look good as they come up, you know, green, and I get a couple, you know, I thin them, 
But now as they're about six, seven inches tall, that's the, the stalk is purple. Right. The leaves, I only have maybe two or three leaves up the top, the other ones, and they look like they want to turn yellow. There are some yellow ones that have dropped to the potting uh, mix. Um, Should I try putting a little fertilizer on? Should I try putting some iron? What what, what do you think? I would just use a general all-purpose like miracle Grow type fertilizer. But probably in the future what i do is you're starting your seeds too soon. You think? Yeah, if they're six inches high, and in reality they really don't want to go outside for until like uh, late, you know, mid to late April, early May, that you know, then you got they're just going to keep elongating and getting weaker and weaker and weaker. So I would say wait for another couple of weeks in the future before you start your seeds. And our growing season is too short to get tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Forget the seeds and just buy the plants. Because oh, when you go to, I mean, you go to the garden centers and you go early in the, let's say, tomato season, you're only going to see them about, you know, two to three inches. So, I mean, later on, bigger, you're going to get bigger ones. But, but uh, you can't get all those fancy varieties, the orange ones and the striped ones and the purple ones and the heirlooms. Yeah. And those are hard to find. Very true. Right. But, I mean, if I bet if you look around, you'll be able to find them. Thank you, sir. Do sure. appreciate it. Yep. My pleasure. And now Bye-bye. let's go over to... Well, maybe we should take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and we do have some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Your daffodils, anything that's uh, basically in bloom, you know, flowering, or even just, you know, the bulbs where the foliage is just coming up, they should be flowered as well. Uh, flowered, yeah. They should be fertilized as well. So that's, you know, just encourages longevity as far as the ability to have them coming back and back and back and back. Now, with the tulips, they're pretty much a one, maybe a two-season bulb, and then after that, they're kapoof. But the daffodils, the crocus, the grape hyacinths, all those, you know, let's say ones that we're a little bit more familiar with, less exotic than the tulips, they can come back for several years depending upon the variety. Let's head over to Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Good morning. How Hi. are you? Very good. Great. Um, I love putting pots out and with flowers, and so my backyard is just in full bloom. Mm-hmm. And every year I battle slugs. And I've looked it up, and I've tried so many different remedies, and none of them really seem to work that well. And I was wondering if you had anything that was, you found that works really well for them. Uh, are you leaving your pots sitting out? Oh, yeah, they're outside for sure. I mean, right now? No. Okay. So, and you're, you're checking the bottoms, you're checking, are you taking the soil out of them every time? Every yes. year, okay. And I put in new soil. And you put and you clean them and everything else. So why, you know, I would say probably the the reason why you're getting slugs is because they're in an area where the slugs are you know present. So I mean, there is things called slug bait, snail and slug bait, and you could sprinkle that around the pots and s- sprinkle it around the surface of the potting mix that you're growing your plants in. Okay, so put it on, put it around the base of the pot, and then also put it inside the pot on top. Yes. Okay. So it's a little bit more extreme, but uh, they're coming since they're not coming out of the potting mix that you have, or from the bottom of the pots that you have left sitting out over the winter time, or anything like that. 
This way, you'll get, you'll hopefully stop them on the ground before they start climbing up the pots. And then if they do happen to do that, then you can try to get them before they get to the plant material. Fantastic. That sounds like a great plan. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah, there's all kinds of things, you know, I don't want to say old wives' tales, but, uh, you know, bowls of beer and all this other stuff, and that right. stuff is really kind of, hmm. It's gross. <laughs> 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 they do crawl and climb in there, but then you got to dispose of them, and it's like, ugh. Yeah. So, all right, I will give that a try. Thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. Okay. Yeah, I found a slug the other day, and so what I do is when I find them, I take them out and throw them in the, into the street. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> they can either fry or get run over by a car. Right. Well, thanks, Carol. Okay, thank you. Bye. Sure. And now let's go to Dominic's yard. Hi, Dominic. Hi. Um, I, last, yesterday I came home and I found a couple of holes in my uh, front lawn. It looks like maybe, um, I don't know, a mole or something is burrowed under. What's going on? Uh, probably not moles. It's uh, still a little bit cool for the moles to be moving too much. My guess is mm-hmm. probably squirrels are digging and planting like acorns or something in those holes. Uh, Mike, it, it almost looks like they burrowed underground and came out uh, two feet later. So, I mean, it's like I said, generally the moles are not going to come up out of the ground. So they just, you know, I mean, that's just not their habit. And what they do is they don't start moving or migrating or coming out of hibernation until the earthworms start moving. And the earthworms don't start moving. The ground's still a little bit cool for them to move. What it is is the sound of the earthworms, that's what sends the moles in the direction they're going. So, you know, what's what's happening, usually where the moles, you know, are going to be, you're going to find mounds of dirt because they've got a, they're coming up from their hibernation den, which is a little bit deeper than what the surface tunnel is. It's about a foot deep as opposed to, you know, one or two inches deep. So this, it could yeah, be a chipmunk, but I don't, I don't, I don't see it as being a mole personally. Okay, I could be completely wrong. Yeah, there's no dirt around the hole. It just looks like a, something's uh, drilled into the soil. Through, through the lawn. Right. Have you taken anything out and tried to probe around to see how deep it actually goes? Uh, no, I haven't. It, it's not that deep, and um, I have not probed. I thought about taking the garden hose and flooding it and see what happens. Yeah, you could just, I mean, take something flexible that you can stick in there. But I still yeah. think it's, you know, I've seen squirrels are doing a lot of planting right now. So I still that, think it's something deep. along that line. Okay. Thanks for your suggestion. Sure. My pleasure. And, uh you know, re- please remember everybody. My, just because I say something doesn't necessarily mean it's true. It's just my guess. So let's head over to David's yard. Hi, David. Oh, morning. You know, I wanted to ask you about erosion. Um, if I understand right, uh, well, you remember all of the massive floods that we've had for the last few years. Uh, you know, up in the northern states, they've been getting piles of snow. I think uh, Minnesota ended up with something like eight feet of snow, but it all melted in one day. And so the same thing happened up in Montana and the Dakotas and whatnot. And so these massive floods have been coming down and and creating a huge amount of erosion. Uh, I can't even imagine how much topsoil is in the Gulf of Mexico because of it. And I'm wondering... uh, you know, there's there's been an agricultural policy that uh, I think there's a 20-foot barrier 
that a farmer can't uh, can't uh, plant any closer than 20 feet from a water uh, waterway. And I'm wondering if uh, it would be smart for America to uh, come up with a, a thicker barrier, you know, 40 feet or something like that, uh, because this uh, this loss of topsoil, you know, we don't want to become the Sahara Desert in another 50 years or something. Well, it's an interesting idea, interesting concept. What you probably should do is contact the like the University of Missouri or of whatever state you live in, contact the agriculture department of the university, and you know see what they say about something along this line, if it right. makes sense for them. Well, it's just the whole issue of global warming. The snow is not staying in Minnesota all during the winter. It's melting almost as quick as it lands. Yeah, sometimes it, you know that can certainly be the case, and then it's got to get into the waterways. So, right. I mean, I don't know if a wider buffer is going to make that much difference. That's why I say it's got to be somebody that, you know, let's say is an erosion expert, which the universities have those kind of people in their agricultural department. But sure. it is an interesting idea. Yeah, well, it's, you know, they, they, I think they made the 20-foot barrier, you know, only about 40 years ago. Uh, you know, f- previously farmers had gone straight to the edge of their land. Right. But, um, uh, you know, it, it may be time to, to even widen that. And, you know, there are agricultural subsidies that will, you know, give the farmers, uh, you know, uh, cash uh, for not planting so close. Sure. But in the long run, you know, it's going to be important for America to protect its topsoil. And I, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine that it's not going to happen again this year. Uh, you know, we're getting a certain amount of rain, but the snowpack in both the Rockies and uh, and in uh, you know western states, that's it's not sticking around. It, you know, I remember being in Colorado in the middle of August one year, and they had 14 feet of snow in the middle of August. Yeah, up but in the high was, mountains, they can certainly have that amount. But lower down, they're would, not going to have that. Yeah, that was 30 years ago, and it's it's no longer happening. Uh, you know, it's it, it's melting as, almost as quick as it comes down. Oh, great. Well, thanks, David. appreciate your thought. But uh, contact your university extension service and agriculture department. Let's head now over to Jones. Hi, Joan. Hello, Joan? Yes. Oh, go ahead. Hi, Mike. Hi. I had a question about planting a shrub or a tree that would, um, I want to screen between myself and my neighbor. This area I want to plant it in has got part sun and part shade. Um, you know, it has some um, some tree roots I'm going to have to dig out. But do you have some shrub or uh, evergreen that would uh, provide me some privacy? Well, how big do you want this thing? It could be big. Okay. <laughs> anyway, well, you can look at the upright, the Techni, T-E-C-H-N-Y, Techni Arborvitae. That's going to be a you know, conical-shaped evergreen, which can take a part shade, part sun location. You could look at, uh, if you want something, none of these are going to grow instantly fast, so you're not going to get the screening really, really fast. You understand that. Right. And uh, you could actually try to put a trellis in and grow some vines on the trellis. And you could get something you could do annual, you know, some annual vines and then put some perennial vines on it. Like, an ever, let's say, a red trumpet honeysuckle, which is an evergreen, you know, uh, honeysuckle vine, not the invasive one or anything like that. You could do that or you could use, let's say, like leather leaf viburnum. Leatherleaf, I burn it. Okay. 
Um, and the fact that it's part shade and part sun doesn't make um, doesn't make any difference with these uh, plants. No, it doesn't. And but I mean, as long as if there's tr- the shade is created by trees, then the tree roots are there, and there is going to be a little bit of a let's say aggressiveness from the tree in relationship to the you know survivability of the plant material. But uh, you know, it's just going to be kind of a roll of the dice. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. How sure. about what about a lilac? Uh, lilacs really want to be full sun all day long, every day. Oh, okay. And they, they're kind of sparse and open, you know, as they grow. So they're okay. not full, and they're not evergreen. Oh, that's true. True. Well, I have to suffer through the winter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I appreciate your show. Thank you very much. Sure, again. Take, yeah, I mean, take a look at getting some trellises. I mean, you can get a trellis that doesn't have a whole lot of space in it to be able to look through whether you had a vine on it or not. So anyway, good luck, Joan. Thank you. Sure. And now let's go over to Kenny's yard. Hi, Kenny. Hello, Mike. Yeah. Uh, I've got a question about uh, roses. Okay. Years ago when I was just a little fella, my mom took a uh, stem off of my aunt's rose, stuck it in the ground, put a jar over it, and it grew. Now, I was wondering, is there a certain time of year that we can do that? Or is it uh, uh, you can do it any time? Well, you should really be doing it. I mean, to do that, she got, let me put it this way. There was an old-time rose, and that was able to root that way. For the most part, the roses of today are not going to do that. Okay. I mean, you could try it, and you can call back in two years from now and say, you don't know what you're talking about, you know, me. <laughs> me. But uh, for the most part, if you're going to do it, I'd probably have already done it, get it ready. What you're doing is kind of starting like— People start, let's say, cool season vegetables and things like that early, and they have, let's say, plastic hoops over them and uh, with plastic you know, sheets to protect them, and the jar would be providing that protection. So, in other words, you're putting a little greenhouse over the top of it. But I would do right. it early in the season. So, in other words, take the cutting, let's uh, probably mid to late January, Make sure when you do the cutting, it's at a 45-degree angle. And then wherever you're going to stick it into, make sure it's a really super well-drained spot. Okay. And All right. Other than that, yeah. make sure you know it's not doesn't have a rose you know, bud on top of it or anything else because you want the thing to flower. Yeah. When it's that young. Now, where, where I live right now, uh, we've got a lot of clay right here. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, should I, you know, soup it up a little bit? Yeah, okay. you should add some organic pot, you know, compost and things like that and make sure it's a very well-drained soil. Okay, I can do that. All right. And I thank you. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900, 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. With Mike Miller on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. I'll tell you what, folks. You head out into your yard and you see a, a weedy-looking thing with purplish flowers. That's henbit. I'll tell you what. Also, what's exploding in flower right now is chickweed. They have small white flowers the size of probably half of a, an eraser as far as the diameter goes. And then also the Persian Speedwell, they have, they're flat growing too, but they have blue small flowers. 
those are the three things that I've seen the most of as I take my walks around and everything else. So henbit, chickweed, and the Persian speedwell. Now, those are annual weeds that actually germinated last August. So they've been growing all this time, and now they're exploding. And as they flower, they're going to get pollinated. They're going to drop seeds. And then those seeds are just going to lay there because the plants go dormant as it starts getting hotter and hotter and hotter. So if you go out in your yard and see something that looks like, you know, that has a bunch of purplish with kind of wrinkly leaves, then uh, you've got henbit. So lots of weedy stuff out there. Let's go over to Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Yes, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Nancy. Uh, let's see, where should we head now? Let's go over to Nick's yard. Hi, Nick. Hello. Hi. Yes, I have a question. I have a fire bush I've had for several years, and and last winter I cut it down to about half and just down about four, four and a half, five feet. It was huge. And there's nothing on it uh, this spring so far. Should that should it have something on it? No. You're talking about the burning bush? Yes. Okay. So, no, it, they're not leafing out yet at all. I mean, I've seen a couple that it, the one or two buds along all the stems may be starting to expand, but no, it's a little bit premature for them to be leafing out. Okay. I, I appreciate your help. Sure. Okay. Bye-bye. And now let's go from Nick's over to Mary Ann's. She lives in Chesterfield. Hi, Mary Ann. Um, hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have two bushes that I have questions about. Uh, I've let both of them kind of go and not paid much attention to them. Uh, one is a sweet spire, mm-hmm. and the other one is a barberry. And now, right now, they're looking pretty bad and... I want to know what I should do to them right now and maybe what to do in the future. Um, You know, they've gotten kind of big, and all the old foliage is still kind of hanging there on the sweet spire, you know, the little little flower things. And should I cut them off? Uh, Should I cut back the barberry? What should I do with them? Basically, I mean, you can do anything you want to. The sweet spire blooms in the summertime, so if you're going to do any kind of pruning on that, get that done now. And with the barberry, we really don't care about the pruning. I mean, the flowering, what we care about is just the foliage. So if uh-huh. you're going to go out, I would say, and do any kind of pruning, I'd get it done pretty quickly if you know if I were you. And uh, Okay. Oh, go ahead. So how much can I cut them back? Because they've both gotten pretty big. Well, you know, I never like to cut more than 20% off, but plenty of people cut way more than that off. It's just sometimes if you, you know, a a well-established, mature plant, if you cut, let's say, an extreme amount off, so in other words, half or even more than half, sometimes it takes it a long time to get itself back to looking aesthetically nice. So that's why I say it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to kill it. It's just the aesthetics may not be there for a year or two. I see. So so about 20%, and I can just go ahead and cut both of them now. Right. And kind of cut them into the shape I'd like them to be. Exactly. And then in the future, just keep, you know, keep working at it and don't let things just kind of go and then try to, you know, it's kind of like uh, – People that, like, let's say like me, I've let my hair get pretty long, or not, it's not super long, but then if I, you know, if I want to get it cut, I can cut a little bit off or I can cut a bunch off, 
But it's, you know, it's just one of those kind of things. You're better off to stay on top of it rather than let them go. Yeah. Or look at the plants in general when they're put in and say, well, how big is this going to get? Is there going to be a lot of pruning needed to keep it in size of this, you know, the bed space and everything else? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you for your advice. Sure. My pleasure. And I don't think we should probably give it another call. It's getting a little bit too late. But uh, Mike, Jill, Jim, Carl, and Mike again, uh, we're going to talk to you after the news at the top of the hour. Try to squeeze you in and be a little bit awesome as far as troubling. Uh, Things, you know, I talked about the hen bit, the uh, common chickweed, and the Persian speedwell. Those were the ones that bloomed, you know, started growing germinating from seed last August. Now, the ones with the yellow forsythia that we'd be putting the pre-emergent down, those are the ones that are going to be like, let's say, the crabgrass, the barnyard grass, the goosegrass, the black medic, the uh, knotweed, the purslane. Those are the ones that are you know, going to be germinating now. So that's what the, you know, the pre-emergent is going to take care of when the forsythia is in bloom or when the soil temperatures are consistent a couple days in a row of over, you know, over 50s. So I always say 50, this gentleman that sent me this information from the University of Illinois, they said uh, three days straight in a row of 55. So that's just, uh, you know, the way I learned it was a little bit different. But uh, I always say when it starts getting above 50 a couple days in a row, at least have your pre-emergent ready to go down. And so that's going to be really important. Uh, As far as the effectiveness by putting it down now, it's going to be a little bit uh, iffy. It won't hurt if you have the product and to get it down because you may limit some of the germination, but uh, total ger- elimination, hmm. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after the news. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour. I'll be giving that shortly, but right now you can give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mr. Kelly, after you get off today, you're going to work in the yard? Just going to relax? I'm going to try to. I'll take my nap. i got to do my workout, and then I'm going outside for a while. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, can't wait. It's just going to be beautiful. <laughs> do a little... Uh, you know, it's kind of funny because I think I'm off to a pretty good start, but you just feel like it's getting late. It's like it's already almost <laughs> April, man. I got to get things going here, you know, yeah. and Sue's like, no, you're okay. You're ahead of the game. <laughs> well, I don't know. It feels like we got to get going because it, it goes fast. All yeah. of a sudden it's June and you go, well, I wanted to do that, you know. But you can never so, catch up. You never get everything done you want to. So. Enjoy the process. Exactly. That's what you got to do. Enjoy right. the process. Yep. So how long do you lift weights? Uh, right now I'm not really in a lifting weight. I got a, a new trainer and so we're kind of working on some different things. So I'm doing a lot of bands and things like that. What's which, a band? They're, they're stretchy and, oh, and, and they, they provide resistance. Ah. And see, I did a lot of lifting weights. And so like some muscles got bigger and stronger while the ones that support them didn't because oh. I didn't do the, the other exercises you got to kind of do. So she's right. got me doing all that kind of stuff. So for the next few weeks, it's more, you know, a little bit of stretching, (laughs) a lot of stretching because I got real tight and things like that to kind of loosen up. But I'm feeling better and uh, 
I'm ready to get back and hit the weights here pretty soon. Well, you look good. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, you know, I look better with the mask on, I must say. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're not supposed to agree with that. <laughs> oh, I thought I was supposed to. Well, yeah. <laughs> anyway. No, no. Well, thanks, Brian. Okay. Yes, by the way, folks, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selections, cares for, ups and downs, and all arounds of annuals. Man, the pansies are spectacular at the garden centers. And some of the little violas, which are just baby pansies as far as the uh, size of the flower goes. Your bulbs, your daffodils, your tulips, your grape hyacinths and everything else. Your edibles, lettuce. Speaking of edibles, I grew some lettuce from uh, in uh, window boxes. And so uh, not really to eat. I thought, eh, you know, I mean, you could eat it, but who cares? And so what I did is I decided I, we have a couple of rabbits that we have outside, not live rabbits like statues or, you know, ceramic or whatever. So I have a, a rabbit sitting in the middle of the window box with uh, the lettuce. So it kind of looks like the rabbit's in there going to eat the lettuce. He's welcome to it as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Alex is across the big board. He's producing. He answers the phone when you call, just your first name and where you're calling from. Uh, During the week, I do landscape consultations and on the weekends as well. Today after the show, I'm headed to Ladue, and then I'm headed up to Maryland Heights after that. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is where my email and phone number is. You can contact me to schedule a walk and talk. And I'll come and share 40-plus years of experience in the outdoors. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I got to give a tip of the trial just to everybody that's you know has done a really nice job of taking care of their yard. As I say, I walk uh, 15 or 20 minutes early in the morning right at kind of dawn. But then in the afternoon, around noon or a little bit after, I walk for an hour. I you know go four different directions. And some of the houses, I mean, some of the people have really done some spectacular things, dec- you know, decoration-wise, not only with plant material, but with plant material. So it just makes my walks really nice. It's you know, like yesterday, I went down Gravoy, then I went down Sunshine and Sunshine all the way to Hampton, and then I went came up, you know, went up Hampton to Nigel and Nigel, then I zigzagged and you know got back home. But uh, I mean, <laughs> there are some just really neat homes, and people out are always out, and they're really nice. A lot of the dogs like to bark because they say, "Who's walking by? That guy I don't recognize him. He looks like a criminal." And I always tell the dog, I say, you're right, I am a criminal. I might be stealing your dog food or something. But anyway, enough of that stuff. So lots of stuff going on. So tip of the trial goes out to everybody, all the people that's work in their yard, because you can really tell. I'm not saying you have to do it, but uh, it does make a big difference as far as when I'm walking around. Let's get a call or two in. Let's go to Mike. Mike, how are you today? Hello. Hi. Uh, I was calling, uh, I put down um, pre-emergent on the 16th, and uh, the next two days after that, we got three inches of rain, and uh, then since then, we've had another inch and a quarter, and I'm just wondering if that got washed away or down in the ground too far. Generally, it shouldn't have. I mean, 
The worst thing you can do as far as you know, putting a pre-emergent down is walking on it a lot because what it does is create a barrier, and then the barrier can be broken by walking or you know, running a mower or running any kind of equipment. But rain shouldn't do all that much to it. I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. Okay. Uh, so, uh, I mean, you, you, as far as mowing, you you got to mow, but... Uh, yeah, wait for another couple of weeks before, I don't know, if you have a cool season lawn, just realize that, you know, the barrier is going to be effective, but uh, we're right to the point where it should have been, you know, um, starting to get rid of some of the seeds, but I would hold off on the mowing as long as you possibly can. Okay. And, and uh, it's I not heard necessarily you talking the, earlier. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily cutting yeah. the grass blades. It's actually walking and breaking the barrier on the surface of the ground, and that's where the pre-emergent is. Right. Okay. Um, and I I heard you talking earlier about the effectiveness of putting it down. Now, uh, I didn't get the entire yard covered as I ran out of, of material, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I, you know, so I'm not sure. It sounds like maybe I shouldn't bother to put the other down. Yeah, it's uh, if you've got it, in other words, in your garage, go ahead and use that. But I wouldn't necessarily go out and buy any more myself. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go over to Jill's. Hi, Jill. How are you? Hi there. Hi. Yeah, so I have uh, two clematis on either side of my garage on the north side of my house and every year the same thing happens it just flourishes and starts blooming and then individual vines seem to die right where they're coming out of the ground and then I just have this long trail going up the clematis of dead vine and then another one and then another one happens on both sides And I've tried a variety of things like seven dust, and I don't know. I really don't know what the source is. To me, it sounds like clematis really like to have a really dry area. Okay. So I don't know if your gutters are flushing water down on them or something, but the fact that they're still reviving themselves every spring and coming back is really kind of surprising. Right. So, in other no. words, usually if it's, you know, if it's too much, if it's a moisture circumstance, it would rot the root system, and then the whole thing would just kind of crumble. So, if right. it's happening on both sides, I still, you know, from the way it sounds, though, it sounds like, uh, you know, on the north, they, sh- they don't mind the sun. They like full sun. So, exactly what it is, maybe it's variety-wise. And, you know, it's, I've, I've replanted with other oh, plants, really? believe it or not. I know. So it made me think maybe it was some sort of a pest that's eating it at the base, but I don't see anything. Yeah, I don't see Nothing's going to eat it like that. Oh, okay. I mean, All right. You hmm. might try, you know, try putting a little bit of a lime onto the ground because they okay. like an alkaline soil. Have you already done that? No, no, uh-uh. And so maybe it's the soil chemistry that's causing the problems. Maybe. Okay. Well, I'll give that a try. I appreciate that. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMYS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, let's head out to Fenton and go into Jim's yard. Jim, how are you today? Well, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Uh, Mike? Last May, I had a Cherokee, Cherokee Princess flowering dogwood planted, 
professionally by uh, a nursery. And it looked, uh, it's doing fine, it's flourishing. No droop, droop, uh, drooping uh, branches or anything like that, but no flowers. I'm wondering if, uh, you know, there's a problem. It could be just the age of the tree. Now, you can go out and look at the tree right now, and if you're going to have flowers this year, there'll be something that looks like a button on the end of the branches. That's, that's the, there. So then that's the flowers for this year. Okay. So when you got it last year, you could have gotten it after it already finished flowering. Yes. Yes, I think so. So that's, you know, but if you've got the button on the end of the branches, that's the flowers for this year. Okay. And I have another question. Uh, I kind of would like you to separate uh, facts from folklore. I've always heard that if you had a neighbor whose tree is overhanging your property, you were within your rights to trim anything hanging over your property. And my question is, does that also, if true, apply to roots? Uh, I don't know, to be honest with you, either way. So, uh, I mean, the root system is more problematic than the, you know, let's say the shade factor for sure. So I don't know, you know, my fear would be, let's say you decided, well, I don't like this guy or I don't like these people or I don't like this tree, whatever it happens to be. And you cut the root system and then, the you know, you could send the tree downhill and then we get a storm and then the tree gets knocked over and falls over and hits your house. Yeah, that's what would happen. Yeah, <laughs> Right. Exactly. So, okay. I mean, it's that's kind of one of those things you go, hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. I mean, I can't you know, be one way or the other. I'd say you guys kind of have to live with what there is there. Okay. It is what it is. <laughs> right. Exactly. So well, thank let's, you. let's head from Fenton into Webster Groves and see what's going on with Carl. Hi, Carl. Mike, uh, I have a mostly zoysia lawn, and uh, I've scalped it down pretty good, as you described a week or so ago, uh-huh. with the lowest setting on my moor. And now I'm interested in dethatching. Uh, and I have a uh, defatcher, electric-powered. Would now be the appropriate time uh, to do that, or should I wait just a little bit longer? wonder what your thoughts are. Well, when you you cut it down really short, did, did you bag the clippings? Yes, I did. Then you probably don't need to dethatch. Basically, by doing that, you've done the dethatching. What you can do, just in case, if you want to, is just take a leaf rake out and, you know, take a, like a three-by-three three area, three feet by three feet, and rake and see how much debris there is. If there's not much debris, then you've already got the dethatching done. If there's like a, you know, considerable amount, then you might want to do the dethatching. And if you're going to do it, the zoysia is just now starting to green up, so you want to get it done pretty quickly. Okay, so I could do it anytime if that's if it's if I still have a lot of thatch. Right, you can, but you really shouldn't. To be honest with you, because thatch is just you know dead blades, and you've already you know, collected everything. And there's not going to be if you cut it down like as low as you say you did. There's not a whole lot of space for there's to be blades in there. But you can take a look. Yeah, I uh, I put it on the lowest. Uh, well, I did it really three times and set it lower each time, and then the last time was the lowest setting on the moor. Right. So I would say you don't have much thatch. Okay. Other question, uh, transplanting a hydrangea. Um, I did a little patio work, and I have a hydrangea that I'd like to move. What would be the proper time to do that? ASAP. Okay. 
That's so. what I thought. So maybe that will happen today. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because especially if it hasn't started to push out any new growth, if it has, then it's going to be a little bit, uh, could be causing a, a little bit of trouble, you know, from an overall health standpoint, depending upon how bad or how severe the summer is going to be, because it's not going to have a well-established root system. If that's the case and you're a little bit worried about it, but you, you know, and you don't have to necessarily move it, uh, I would wait until do it in the fall. Okay, uh, like October or? Yeah, even earlier than that, sometime in mid-September. Now, is this a variety that blooms in the summer, or is this a variety that blooms in the spring? Summer. Okay, so then I would go ahead and just do it now and get it over with. Okay. All right, well, thank you very much. Sure. Now let's head over to Luke's yard. Hi, Luke. Hello? Hello, Luke. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, got a question. Last year, last spring we planted some lavender bush lavender trees and i didn't do anything to them this year am i supposed to prune those back somehow or what do i do with that thing well lavender is you know you're talking about the herb lavender correct yeah we bought them at the at the nursery and they called them lavender trees Hmm. i'm not sure so in like other words, did it have a stalk? did it have a stalk, and then the let's say the foliage was above the ground, like a foot or two or something? Yes, sir. So my guess is it probably didn't make it through the winter. I would say okay. just leave it. If you cut that top thing off, then you know that's where, in theory, that should still be alive and everything should be good, and the trunk should still be good. I would wait until let's say mid-May, and if you're not seeing any kind of new growth at all, no flowering, no nothing, then the thing's dead. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if I'm supposed to prune those yearly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would just keep my fingers crossed that it survived in wintertime. Got one more question, if you don't mind. I'm sure. getting ready to plant some strawberries in a raised bed. Uh-huh. Uh, any advice for that? Uh, just make sure it's a well-drained you know, soil and it's organically very rich. But other than that, that's about all strawberries need. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over. Where should we go? Let's go to Bob, and he lives in Baldwin. Hi, Bob. Hello, Mike. Hi. Um, I live in a house in Baldwin on the end of a cul-de-sac, and the prior owner thought that there was very little parking, so we put in like a real wide double driveway. My kids have always said, Dad, we've got a parking lot in the front yard instead (laughs) of the yard. So I have taken it upon myself, and I have done what I thought would be the hard work of busting off about a three-foot wide strip down to the street and i've gotten that the asphalt's gone below that there was some crushed gravel or gravel i've raked that off but now i'm down to a white powdery stuff and it's very fine but it's kind of crushed rock do i need to dig all of that up before i put down sod yeah or is that i would think that that's probably some kind of limestone which was the original rock they put in before they did the other rock and before they put the asphalt down. So if you don't, the alkalinity of that soil is going to be extremely high, and you're not going to have any success. It's going to be difficult to get grass to grow there in the first place. But if you don't get that stuff out of there, then it's going to be really tough. I, I wondered a bit about the lime content and that right. the alkaline, because I hear you talk about pH values all the time. Right, exactly. So I need to try and dig down until I hit, like, again, huh? Exactly, and then improve that soil before you start putting any kind of sod, seed, or anything else. Spread some compost in there before I put the sod down. Right, 
and mix it, you know, mix it in with the existing soil. Okay. So what I thought was the hard job may have been just the first of many. <laughs> exactly. You should okay, have... but it's making progress. Thank you. I well, just great. Kind of thought that the, 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 the word lime just scares me all the time anyway. Right. I agree. Yeah. I mean, there's so yeah, few okay. things that really like it, so it's... Hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And uh, let's see if we can get one more call in before break. Uh, let's go to Gail's yard. Hi, Gail. Uh, hi, Mike. Thank you for your program. I have a question about asparagus and what we should be doing now. Basically, what you want to do is any of the canes, you know, that are big or I, to me, any of the canes. So, in other words, it's stuff that's still sticking above the ground, right? Right. Well, in the fall, we just let it the things grow. Right. So cut all that stuff off because that's not going to be functional. You're going to get the new growth that's going to be the asparagus for this year is going to be coming up out of the ground. Okay. So just get rid of all that debris. Uh, You don't necessarily, I'm assuming it's done well, so it's in the full sun location. It's in a full sun location, but it's, uh, the area is over 40 years old, so... You mean as far as the bed space, the garden space? Yes, yes. It's it's about a 20 by 30 section. Yeah, ideally you would have improved that soil before you put the asparagus in. But I would uh-huh. say just, you know, go, there's not really too much you can do because if you get in there and you start rototilling and adding stuff, you're going to tear up all the asparagus root system. Right. So you're right. just going to have to kind of live with it as it is. Oh, really? Um no fertilizer or anything now or during the... Well, when the the new growth begins, I'd probably use an organic-type fertilizer. Okay. So, like, I mean, there's there's melorganite. Uh, St. Louis Composting has an organic fertilizer, which uh, the letters are, or the numbers are 464. So it's called Sustain. So, I mean, j- just don't put a, a fertilizer in that's a classic, typical fertilizer. Okay, okay. And that's and what all. What was that? What did you mention first? Melorganite. Oh, could you spell that, please? M I L O R G A N I T E. G A N I T E. All right. That all sounds new, so I'm not familiar with that. Okay. Um, and then is that all during the growing season? Or? No, you just basically in the springtime, that's when you're going to fertilize. All right. Thank you much. Sure. My pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Bye. And just make sure you do the harvesting pretty quickly. So uh, when the spears start coming up and get to the size, when we, when we go to the store, Tracy and I both, we look at the asparagus to buy, and if we see the base is like big and, you know, like over a quarter, above a quarter inch, then we skip it because it's like, it's too chewy. So just personal choice. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go. We're headed over to Don's yard. Hi, Don. Uh, Mike. Hi. Uh, Last year, I had uh, my back yard kind of de-weeded by a friend of mine. And this year, I'm going to have my son to go out there and do it. Last year, the boy told me that I was uh, 
uh, Ivy next door. We have a boy a fence between my yard and the yard next door. When that part Ivy should be out there this year, he sprayed it, but how long did that stay there? Well, the poison ivy can't, I mean, it's very tough. It's very resistant. So depending upon what kind of herbicide he sprayed it with, I'd be very cautious. It may take a couple years of, you know, actually application of the poison, you know, onto the poison ivy. And what I would do is if you can see, if you know where the poison ivy is coming up out of the ground, have that, have somebody come and cut it off at a 45 degree angle. So in other words, leave the stump about a foot high take Roundup for killing woody plants and paint it right onto that stump as opposed to spraying the leaves. Because the leaves, depending upon what kind of herbicide, may not kill it back through the stem and then down into the root system. Okay. Second question. Uh, my front yard looks real nice. Nice, uh, grass. But we haven't taken take care of the backyard. I want to plant some grass out there. It is too late to plant grass seed. I know I uh, I can't do anything with the uh, zoology now, but can I plant some kind of grass seed now? With the come this year, how long do I have to wait? Uh, I would go ahead and probably, I don't know what kind of grass seed you want to use, but if it sounds like with your yard, I'd use like a K31 or a type of fescue F. E-S-C-U-E, use a fescue seed and get it down as soon as you possibly can and use a seed starter fertilizer with it. But rake your lawn before you put the seed down and the fertilizer down. Okay, okay. Right. Well, Well, thanks, Don. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go over to Ken's yard. Hi, Ken. Yeah, maybe you just answered my first question is when do uh, we can apply grass seed? Yeah, if you haven't put a pre-emergent down, it's a little bit early, but uh, you can go ahead and get it down because the ground temperatures with this warm weather like we have is, you know, going to encourage that uh, germination pretty quickly. Also, uh, my subdivision has some uh, islands in the cul-de-sacs. We were wanting to spruce up, and we have no water there, so we need something pretty hardy. Do you have any suggestions for bushes or something? Uh, well, classic circumstance, you know, kind of in, let's say, parking lots where uh, shopping centers are and stuff like that. The burning bush, if you don't mind how big it's going to get, they're pretty tough and durable. Another thing would be possibility would be barberry. They're pretty tough and durable, too. They've got a golden barberry. And they've got a red barberry, a maroon barberry. Now, they have thorns. The burning bush doesn't. Okay, thank you. Sure. And now let's see. Let's go over to Stephen's yard. Hi, Stephen. Hello. Hi. Hey, appreciate your show, Mike. Uh, uh, I've got two questions. Uh, is this, We already had a pre-emergence put down uh, on a fescue lawn. Is it too late to um, power rake the front yard and backyard? Well, if you put the pre-emergence down, you're just actually eradicating the pre-emergence you just spent money on. Okay. So you're just tearing it up. Okay. And um, mom has an orchid, and it hasn't bloomed for like uh, two, three years. It, we, it just has little stems coming up. 
Stems coming up vertically or stems going down towards? They look like crazy arms. They're all twisted up stems uh, just coming up. You know, there's there's no growth on them or anything. It's just another stem pops up and um, no 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 green, no no bud, no nothing on it. Yeah, that's a special kind of, let's say, a root system that this particular herb is probably a, a phalaenopsis. And so you're gonna, she's going to have all kinds of those kind of things coming up. But uh, what she needs to do is put it in a bright, sunny window and get some orchid food and then, you know, keep her fingers crossed that she's going to get uh, the flower stems coming up. You know, it's not going to be immediate, but that's the best thing you can possibly do. But those things that are coming out with any kind of no leaves, no nothing, that's part of the whole root system of this particular orchid. Could we, repl- could we replant that then? Uh, I wouldn't bother, you know, putting it into a different pod because basically it grows in bark. In its native habitat, they grow on the side of trees. So that means the bark that actually the, the root system of the orchid, the main root system is growing down in bark in the pot that she has. And the other stuff is just root systems in its native habitat that helps it hold on to the tree. Oh, Okay. So would it hurt to clip those things off, or should I just leave them? I would just leave them. They're really kind of freaky looking, but uh, yeah. I mean, it's all—it's kind of all just part of the you know the circumstance of this particular orchid. Okay. There are plenty well, of orchids that don't have those, but this particular one does. Well, thank you so much, uh, Mom, and I listen to your show every weekend. We just love it, and and uh, thank you for all you do. Well, thanks. Well, thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> thank you. Sure. And now let's go to Dave in St. Peter's. Hi, Dave. Hi there. Hi. Um, I've got some burning bushes on the side of my uh, uh, lot that I love. They're, I guess I've had them. I moved in probably 20 years ago, and they were adult uh, burning bushes when I moved in. I try to keep them right about seven foot, and last fall I saw a new problem. Uh, the bark is falling off of uh, the limbs on one of my burning bushes. Um, is that is that burning bush dying? Uh, more than likely not. It just might mean that the bark, basically because of the age and everything else, is not, you know, there's new bark underneath where this bark fell off. But what you can do right. is just those areas where, you know, it has fallen off. If you look at it this spring, when everything, you know, when the rest of the, you know, the shrub has leafed out and there's no leaves on that particular area that lost its bark, then just cut those out. Okay, that's kind of what the plan was. All right, thank you very much. Sure. Mike Miller, the Morris Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got a couple phone lines open. Let's go over to Terry's yard, and he lives in Godfrey. Hi, Terry. Hey, Mike. Hi. Hey, thanks for asking my call. Sure. Um, I have a question here. Um, I have a philodendron that's been growing in this pot. I know it's root down, or it looks like it is. It's been in this pot like a foot diameter and about a foot deep for the last 37 years. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you ought to see this guy. But it has like twin stalks growing out of the pot. It almost almost like has a texture of like a palm tree. And it has all these uh, uh, stems with the leaves that are still dark green and real healthy looking. But growing out of the sides of the of the twin stalks coming out, they're like an inch and a half in diameter by about 18 inches high. 
uh, they're just side by side, but out of the side of those are growing like these vines. Is that roots? Probably it might be just new foliage. Now, is this actually a philodendron or is this a Diffenbachia? This is a philodendron. Really? Because yeah. I've never heard of them having a stem that big. You know, this this thing. Uh, well, I bought it. Believe it or not, I bought it at Kmart. It was left for dead out on the on the patio thing, and I bought it for a dollar <laughs> back in 1984. And wow! I still have it. Yeah, but. The, but the stems I'm talking about growing out of the sides, they look like vines, and, and they're real, like, real tough. Well, I like, mean, uh, it could be aerial roots. So that would certainly. be my guess because, you know, that stem should be, you know, in theory, if it was in a, let's say, growing in the climatron of the botanical garden, it would be in the ground. But since the stem yep. is not in the ground or in soil, then it's sending out these aerial roots. So I would say... Just kind of live with it. You can put it in a pot, but I wouldn't put it, you know, if it's looking healthy and looking good and you don't mind it, I'd just leave it alone. So let's head now over to Gary's, and Gary lives in Collinsville. Hi, Gary. Yes, hello. Um, I've got uh, my Dahlia tubers. I was wondering why I could stick them in the ground because I noticed that they're starting to get a little green bud on them. Now, and uh, keep them in. What kind of tuber was this? Uh, dahlias. Oh, dahlias. Um, dahlias. Right, dahlias. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit early, but uh, you can go ahead and just, you know, go ahead and plant it. Just make sure you put it in a really sunny location. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. I, I've been having real good luck with it. Now, another thing, my, my um, a couple weeks ago, I called you and I played uh, hard oil, sprayed my, uh, for leaf or uh, ornamental uh, cherry trees. Now, it's just starting to bud out. Now, is it that the time I put uh, that fungicide on it? Uh, I would say it's a, if the leaf buds are coming out and they're about a half inch to an inch long, you can do the first application of a fungicide. Okay, that's about what they are right okay. now. So, okay, thank you very much. Yep, my pleasure. Okay, good. And now let's go to Lisa, and she lives in Salem, Illinois. Hi, Lisa. Hey, um, I have a pin oak. Um, it's pretty old. It's got the galls on it, like quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I noticed it has a really long crack in the bark. Um, and I'm looking, I'm not really seeing that many buds, but there's so many galls. You think it's probably done? Uh, no. Would that? It's not going to no? die that quick. So no. a split. But the... do you think it will with that crack? Well, I mean, that's not a good sign. It could be, right. you know, the crack could be just an, if it's a long linear crack that goes up the, the main trunk, is that what we're talking about? Yeah. 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 That's, you know, kind of the beginning of the end, but it could go on. Well, from, I'm not, I'm not heartbroken. Oh. So that's fine. Yeah. Because of the galls. I'm not, it's, right. it's, I'm tired of it. Now I have a red maple and it's still pretty young. Um, it's kind of fork one limb off. Should we cut that off? Well, I mean, some people, from a structural standpoint, from an aesthetic standpoint, they don't like that look. You don't have yeah. to. It won't. It won't be to the advantage of you know of the tree just in general. It'll certainly diminish, let's say, the 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 width or the breadth that you're going to get shade from it. But beyond that, it's mainly an aesthetic call more so than anything else. Okay, and I'm moving two barberries today that are 
almost, you know, they're leafing out right now, mm-hmm. but I've got a really good ball on them to move, but I've, you know, I've just not got them up out of the ground yet because they're so heavy. Right. Um, do, can they go partial sun? Uh, they're not going to look nearly as good as they do in the full okay. sun, and they're going to okay. look more sparse, and you're going to notice more needles, thorns, than okay. you notice anything else. All right. Well, I'll put them in full sun. Right. And, um, yeah, I think that's it. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Steve's yard. Hi, Steve. Uh, Good morning, Mike. Uh, Just had about a two and a half foot sweet gumball tree removed because its roots were playing havoc with my brick patio. (laughs) Uh, I had one person tell me, don't worry about the roots anymore. The tree is going to die. Had somebody else say the roots are going to keep going for another three or four or five years. The guy uh, that's, what do you think and what can I do? Yeah, the guy that told you the roots are going to stay viable for multiple years is right. So just taking a tree down, grinding the stump out does not kill the roots. They will still keep going and going and going. Every year they're going to the diet, let's say the root mass or the, you know, the massive quality of it is going to diminish but it's going to take multiple years before they go away entirely. Should I do anything with these? I, I, I had it cut below my patio so I could put patio over it again. Right. Uh, can I do anything to that stump to uh, 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 facilitate or speed up the, the dying of the roots and everything? Not really. I mean, there's, there's things that you can auger and pour into it, you know, called stump killer. But yep. uh, the, the difference is not going to be all that dramatic. You could try okay. it, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna ha- make it happen in one year. Let's put it that way. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Roots, you know, especially on larger trees, go on and on and on. And Dan, could you do it kind of quick? Yeah, it was quick. Two weeks ago, I put down pre-emergent on my lawn. I was watching the soil temperature, and it got up to the mid fifties. Mm-hmm. And then we had all that rain, and. Should I just plan on a lot of crabgrass this summer? Is there anything I can do, or you know, was that all for naught? Uh, it could have been. It may have been effective. You know, the crabgrass was probably—I don't even know if the crabgrass, depending upon the exposure of your yard and everything else, soil temperature-wise, whether it was you know going to be effective or not. So, I mean, I would say I would not necessarily going to be. If you want to, you can go get some more pre-emergent and put it down. But I wouldn't probably waste my money or time. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's just a really tough call on how well it's going to do. Uh, some of the things that we need to be starting to be concerned with is uh, insects. So mealybugs, aphids, thrips, mites, red clover mites, slugs, Japanese beetles, bagworms, whiteflies, scale grasshoppers, all kinds of stuff. And those are problems for your landscape, just different plants and different things. So... Just be conscious of we're very, very concerned right now about uh, the weeds, this annual weed germination and all that other stuff and getting them under control. But don't forget about the insects and, you know, like things like grubs, especially if you have a bluegrass lawn. That's where they do the most, you know, the most trouble. So uh, the white grubs, yes, moles will eat the white grubs, but moles' main diet is earthworms. So as they're tunneling towards the earthworm sound, as the earthworms are tunneling, uh, they come across a grub, and they're going to eat it. But the grubs is not the thing that brings moles into your yard. It's earthworms. 
So people that generally don't have moles either live in the city like me. There's very few yards in the city that does have moles. Now, there are some, but for the most part, they're there because you've got a nice yard because if you don't have a nice yard or a good yard, you're not going to have earthworms. So the moles may start into your yard. They go, hmm, I don't hear anything. No, nothing's. I don't hear any earthworm sound. So, yeah, I'm going to back out and head over to this yard over here. Other things you need to be concerned with is diseases, virus, and bacteria problems. Start watching very, very early and making applications before they actually show up can certainly be to the advantage. The gentleman that called, I think it was about his crab apple. The foliage was just starting to emerge. He had some cedar apple rust problems or some other problems with some various funguses. First application of fungicide before anything is noticeable, especially with these the bacteria and diseases, makes much more sense than it has in the past. So if historically you've had a problem with any kind of fungus or bacteria or virus, keep that in mind. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.